Halloween, the holiday of mischief and mayhem. So hang on to your hats, kiddies. This one's a real Clapping thunder, wind howling, chains rattling. There's something spooky going around these here parts. This program contains mature subject matter. Including maladjusted youth, masochistic hillbillies, and the excitement of the price is right. It may be deemed inappropriate for our younger viewers. Viewer discretion advised. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. <laughs> this show is behind the shem shemas. Yes, it seems. What gives you a choice? Either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can. Yeah, it's a nasty scheme. You maniacs! What is a man? You blew it up! Damn you! A miserable little pile of secrets! Damn you all to hell! What is BTS? When we are successful, we will be. We have a real chance of this. Your face is wearing thin. The Mistress of the Dark. Hello. Tonight is a night when kids go trick-or-treating, their parents dress up in silly costumes, and jack-o'-lanterns grin from porches everywhere. And all of these things are fine, but... It's important to look beyond the candy corn and the, and the apple bobbing and the orange and black cray paper and, and remember the true meaning of Halloween. I mean, Halloween is about death and dying and rotting forever in a dank, musty old coffin. It's about panic and despair and screaming, always screaming. It's about firing point blank into the head of an oncoming zombie and all his gross junk starts leaking out and it slows him down for a second but then he just keeps on coming. It's about tapping your best friend on the shoulder and, and then turning him around and, oh my God, what have they done to him? Folks, I mean, the cardboard skeleton has its place and as long as we don't forget, uh, you know, the meat hook. I mean, soaping windows can be fun, but let's not forget about burying people alive. So tonight... <laughs> While you're dressing up as a hula dancer, just take a moment to think of a, of a skull with, like, worms crawling out of the eye holes. Thank you. Thank you, Elvira. Thanks, Elvira. I think it needed to be said, you know... Happy Halloween! It's October 31st of 2022. This is episode 124 of Behind the Schemes, and you'll never see me forget the meaning of this unholy of holy days. This is Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And that's not a razor blade in your candy bar. It's light bright. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I like that one. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm a little jelly. I've been sitting on that for like a week. Damn it. I should have thought about that one. Well, it's either that or fentanyl pills. Yeah, so. I was going to say, razor blades are <sighs> out. Fentanyl is in. You got to get Please. some of that. You need something to smash them up, though, and cut them. <laughs> Credit card will work. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how you doing? Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Doing well. Yeah. I, I know that we just talked, so. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess we can <laughs> leave the formalities to the side. Uh, but yes, this is a this is kind of a, a unique scenario because we just had episode one twenty three of Behind the Schemes yesterday, following episode fourteen ninety nine of No Agenda. Uh, next time they get on the air, it will be the big fifteen double O. Super exciting, and uh, I don't think there was any way that we could let a a show pass up on Halloween. So uh, Lightbright agreed to come on, and holy shit, we got some stuff lined up for y'all tonight. Very excited. Before we can get to any of that, though, we do have tonight's tarot card uh, drawn from the Line Strider deck. Um, and this card is the reversed strength card. Uh, now, the strength card is typically depicted as a woman wrestling a lion with the infinity symbol above her head. And uh, in this particular image, you do still get that lion symbology. Um, uh, and there is still the woman. And in the uh, upright general keywords, it would be courage, love, patience, balance, motivation, inner strength, and success. Uh, the strength line strider represents the inner tenacity and mental strength of humans to overcome all barriers. The querents should know that they can endure life's obstacles with confidence, stamina, resilience, forged with patience, compassion, and inner composure. Did I lose you there? Nope, I'm here. Oh, okay. Um, now the re uh, so that was all for the general upright. Uh, this is a little bit about the reverse meaning. If I can find it again. Um, where'd you go? If the previous oh, that's the chariot. Where's this? Uh, hmm. Doesn't give me like a proper reverse meaning uh, breakdown. What the fuck, Tarot X? Uh, so I would imagine the reverse meaning of strength, if your general keywords are courage, love, patience, uh, you're going to have impatience, uh, maybe spite, uh, uh, what would the opposite of courage be? Um, I've got another site here pulled up and it says that you may be experiencing or about to experience intense anger or fear in your life. Um, a trigger word for me, I know we've been talking about this a lot lately is imposter syndrome. Mm. is linked with this card in the reverse uh, fashion. Um, insecurity, fear. Um, in the finances, you could have a lot of compulsive spending happening or a hesitancy about your spending at the same time. Um, some self-esteem issues, all of the all of the great, great feeling stuff. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it can imply self-doubt, loss of confidence. Uh, you may have put yourself in a position where you have to depend on the actions and feelings of others rather than taking charge and, I guess, uh, leading the horde from the front. Uh, right. But yeah, I'm I'm always partial to the strength card. That's the Leo's uh, Zodiac card. Always like seeing it come up. Yeah. 
If you would like to see this tarot card, it's posted up at the top of our show notes, uh, which you can find over at zososcorner.substack.com. That's Z-O-S-O-S corner.substack.com. And we have a ton of information in there for tonight. Not only do you have the show art, which is, uh, I don't know if it would be appropriate to call it a variant, but it's a little different. Um, with all of our show arts there, you can find the links to the stories that we talk about, the clips of the videos that we play, uh, all of the links to everything that you would need to, to, to reach out and touch us, you can find in the show notes. And it's part of our value for value model, meaning that uh, there's no paywall whatsoever. Uh, if you so choose to, you can just sign up and those show notes will be sent to your inbox every week when we go live for the episodes. It's very cool. Very cool. Can we say that the show art is shiny? Oh, yeah, it's a little it's a little shiny, yeah. It's the shiny version. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hollow foil. <laughs> uh, what else do we got? Uh, we do the show live every Monday night starting at 7.30 Pacific, 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. You can tune in at badradio.live. There's a link to enter the green room, which is our IRC chat uh, featured on irc.zeronode.net. Hashtag green room. Come on in and hang out. We got tarot cards. We got die you can roll. You can see all the boostograms that come through uh, each night. Uh, there's a little bit of a... Depending on what numbers you boost, you can get different uh, different images, which is a lot of fun. And uh, if, if you would like to boost or check out the chapters and transcripts and anything else that we do that's associated with Podcasting 2.0, you should definitely try a nude podcast app. Uh, nudepodcastapps.com take your clothes off uh, are you are you going to jump on a nude podcast app can i ask that do i have to take my clothes off you can you can go to newpodcastapps.com if you'd rather okay yeah okay. might start there might start there all right sounds good um but yeah in those apps you can send micro payments of bitcoin on the lightning network uh, which are called boostograms and if you head to liveislit.com you can check out all of those uh, special boosts and that'll trigger different sound effects or uh, different Gamatria boosts. Um, it's been a while since we've put any new ones up there. Uh, we've got to take some time to draft up some new ideas. Uh, but let's, uh, I guess we should go ahead and, and hit those. Uh, we did have one boost from Servo five hours ago for 3333 boosting from boost cli and he said boosting from cron tab sent at monday october 31st uh 1433 um what is pdt again i forget the actual meaning of it pdt like the time zone Mm-hmm. that would be uh pacific something something mountain time no that's mt hmm um but yeah nudepodcastapps.com that's where you can go and uh, play along. If you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you're really denying yourself uh, the additional two and a half, three, four hours that Lavish and I put in uh, to produce this show. There's a whole second, second, second half a show that happens after <laughs> we wrap each one. And uh, if you want to check it out, you, you'll need a podcast in 2.0 uh, listening app. Was there anything? Oh, uh, we do have we have a merch store behind the schemes dot shop uh, or behind the schemes dot threadless dot com. And uh, this is a value for value production, meaning that we produce everything 
for free and put it on the internet for free and hope that you enjoy it for free. Actually, you better be enjoying it for free. And if you got any value out of the show as you were listening, uh, c- consider helping produce the show. I mean, that could be in the form of uh, ISOs, clips, songs, story ideas, artwork, all of it counts, uh, PayPal donations, boostergrams. It all helps makes, make this the show that you want to hear. And um, yeah. Uh, spook.social and come hang out on a Mastodon instance with us. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to get light bright on, onto the Mastodon pill or the Mastodon train. I don't think it's working yet. No, not yet. Soon. Soon. Sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Ooh, ooh. Oh yeah. Uh, I think that was, oh, and, uh, if uh, if you want to just check out our website, it's behindtheschemes.com, S-C-H-3-M-3-S. And I suppose it's time for a couple of voicemails. <laughs> Spook me, bitch. Do a commercial, you're off the artistic roll call. Every word you say is suspect. You're a corporate whore, and uh, end of story. Roll it out the MK Ultra song. That's great. Lizards really talk this way. Y'all better boost me alive, pigs! <laughs> The easiest way that you can help produce this show is to call our telephone number 612-263-7999. You can leave yourself a screen mail. We do absolutely zero screening. <laughs> and uh, yeah, tell us about your day. You can scream for us. There's no shortage on the amount of things that uh, you can pull off in our box. And here's our first one for tonight. Monday. That's an appropriate day today for the behind the schemes. I mean, you know, like, can kind of be like that episode of The Office where uh, um, uh, Creed shows up on Halloween and already has blood on the shirt. He's like, oh, that was good timing. And, uh, anywho, you know, because all the goats and stuff and explaining jokes, that makes it funnier, right? 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 Um, yeah. Um, so I was just helping some uh, some people. They got a theater company, and they're using somebody's house. To... Anyway, if you know anything about like community theater or whatever, there's lots of chairs because you got to have tons of chairs, different styles, all that sort of stuff. Kitchen tables, all those sorts of just chairs in different eras and whatnot. So somebody storing somebody we know, they're storing a bunch of uh, theater's chairs, and I went to go over there and help them move and like. There's like a whole entire room just full of chairs, and I just walk in, and it already been started, and some of the stuff was pulled out, and the person's living room, and I just walked in the room, and I just in my head, I'm just like, ah, so many chairs, so many chairs, um, but yeah, we got them all back in. It really was not a big deal, but you know, the whole entire room of just chairs, a few other things, but just chairs. I mean, are you guys hearing me? There's just chairs. I mean, lavash. Booberry Mothman of the apocalyptic uh, high wire act, you know, like just chairs. I mean, but you know, I mean, it's a good place. Good thing is, actually, really, there wasn't a place to sit. That was the ironic part, actually, because they're all stacked on top of each other. If you sat on them, you'd be sitting on the leg, because you know. Anyway, anyway, 
Did I, did I mention tariffs? Okay, I think I did. All right. Anyway, uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. You know, you guys enjoy enjoy like you know the the festivities or whatever you know, and uh, you know enjoy passing out. I mean, maybe pass out some chairs instead of candy. You know, kids might like a place to sit and relax as they're as they're uh, trigger treating or whatever they're doing. Uh, you know, but all right, I love you guys. Stay dangerous. I know you guys are keeping it that way, and uh, you know. Remember, tell all those trigger treaters. Uh, caller, first, <laughs> I like where your head is at. Uh, let me let me propose an alternative, though. Instead of passing out candy, and instead of passing out chairs, what if I said cow, and then I hit them with a chair? I could pass out chair hits. Oh my god! We we had two earlier today. Two. <laughs> <laughs> two trick or treaters, and that's it. Yeah, I, I could have split a chair between the two of them. Oh my god! <laughs> Half off. Buy the chair dip. <laughs> you know what they say: two birds, one stone. Two birds, one metal chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, thank you for the call, comrade Christopher Battles. Um, six one two two six three seven nine. Nine nine is that number. You should call it. Leave us lots of screams. Uh, we you can also text that number if you want to send in a message or some images. And uh, Texter actually sent in a um hmm. It's kind of a horrifying. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm body shaming this individual. Let me uh I'll get the image shared in the chat there for y'all, and you can tell me is it a smash or pass <laughs> oh. i mean i i kind of like the rail idea it's like a strap almost uh what we are looking at here <laughs> is the image of an individual a male i would assume who has a finely tuned streak of hair running from his navel all the way up to the underside of his nose it is one thin strip of hair all the way down. And the uh, the caption says, Personally, I hate any pubic hair. I prefer minimal facial hair. Hate chest hair. Uh, but love a little snail trail, though. I'm strange. I'm so random. <laughs> Hashtag woke up like this. I'm not like other boys. I'm not like other boys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's disgusting. Um. Yeah, uh, 612-263-7999, which you got to shout or scream. And uh, uh, so right before we got started, I rushed into uh, the other side of the production facility. Let's roll with that. And I dropped off some die. Do you know what we're going to do with these die? Play D&D. Fuck yeah, dude. All right. Great. So <laughs> we're going to grab the four-sided, which is the little... Pyramid guy. We're gonna grab the eight-sided die, which looks like a uh, like a spinning top. Excuse me, is that the eight-sided die? Which one is this? No, I want the eight-sided die. Yeah, eight-sided die. The pyramid guy that's got three numbers on each side. Or what am I? Which one? It's the four-sided die is a pyramid, and then the eight-sided die is two pyramids stacked on top. It's a diamond yeah. shape. But yep. the four-sided one I have has three numbers on each side of the 
pyramid. Right. So whatever numbers on. Oh, I yeah, see. Whatever yep, numbers yep. at the top of the pyramid. That's what. Uh, that's what you get. Got um, So lavish and I will typically uh, decide how this roll is going to go. We'll. Uh, what we're going to do for for this one is take the four sided die and use that as a multiplier. And then we'll multiply whatever we get with the eight-sided die. So if you roll a two Math. and an eight, that would be 16. Okay? Okay. And we're going to roll and see who can get closer to 31. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'll say, uh, hmm, let's say closer, closer takes second second half so if you get closer to uh 31 then you'll take the second second half of show okay sound good sure I absolutely slayed it with a three. <laughs> I got a four. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I figured uh, for the first half of the show, this actually might line up rather nicely. Um, for the first half of the show, what I have prepared is the history of haunted attractions. And uh, we can go through a pretty expansive timeline uh, looking at various examples of uh, spook fest throughout history and then when we come back after intermission uh, Lightbright and I were going to talk about some of our experiences working at a theme park that had a rather large Halloween event called Hallow Scream we have a ton of photos and there's some videos and stuff uh, Lightbright you did three new mazes while you were working there I did yeah three three mazes I quote-unquote built from the ground up yeah so uh definitely get excited for that we got a ton of photos uh some that we took ourselves some that was taken by family others that we found on uh or i found on Flickr galleries so spaz shared a ton of material um i should actually add them to the producer credits too not to help me remember that one um but yeah so what i decided to do for this halloween because i i really felt it was appropriate to, to, you know, cover something a little spooky, uh, something with a little bit of history to it. And it turns out that uh, Haunted Attractions uh, was the perfect contender for this. <laughs> really, uh, really found some neat stuff. Man, I can't wait to play it all for you. Uh, let me hit you with some fast facts about the modern day uh, Halloween industry. Now, there's an estimated... 1,200 haunted attractions in the U.S. alone. The typical haunted attraction averages around 8,000 paid guests. This figure grossly depends on the market and the size of the attraction. About 80% of the professional attractions in America attendance are less than 10,000 paid guests or more than 7,500 paid guests. Uh, less than 3% of haunted houses have attendance figures of over 3,500 paid guests. Um, how many How many people was in a hollow 35,000. 35, 35, Less 000. than 3%. Uh, sorry, what was your question? 
How many people did we see at Hollow Scream? Okay, so I was actually so the m- busiest weekend that I remember. They told me cornered walked about a hundred thousand people in one night. So that's you could s- conga line. <laughs> yeah, and that yeah, that's a good old conga line. So you could say three hundred thousand people a night or on a weekend, and then times that by seven weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh metric shit ton of people. That's yeah. how many. Uh the haunted house industry, much like other industries, has their own trade show, experts, consultants, suppliers, magazines, associations, education seminars, gatherings, and events. Haunted attraction owners spend annually over $50 million with specific haunted house vendors for supplies like fog machines um, to scary animatronic monsters, uh, lighting equipment, masks, costumes, makeup. Uh, And there's some major vendors in the industry who have even supplied haunted houses to Playboy Mansion and uh, Universal Studios, Six Flags, Madison Square Garden. And I'm assuming Bush Gardens would fall under that category with... um, uh, oh God! What is the the name of that dipshit company? Uh, Oak Island. Oak Island. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> so little respect for them. I couldn't even remember their name. Right. I don't think they exist anymore. Yeah. Press that to spit. That's right. Um. So this uh, a lot of this stemmed from uh, at least the the skeleton <laughs> of. This was prepped from a Smithsonian article and a Fangoria piece that are pretty interesting. I definitely have both of those linked. But we're actually going to take a listen to the Fangoria podcast. Uh, Everybody has a podcast. I don't know if you were aware of that. And um, this was a show called Nightmare University. And it's actually the author of the Fangoria article discussing uh, some of the stuff that she was referencing. But one thing... and. This could be considered a stretch. I definitely want to hear your opinions after we take a listen. Uh, but I guess the idea of using an environment to scare people goes back a pretty, pretty, pretty long time ago. Haunted attractions have a long history that dates all the way back to our earliest civilizations. It probably goes back even later than this, but I'm going to start with some of our earliest documented examples of what I will call fake horrors, and that would be with the Egyptians. The Egyptians knew that if you wanted to keep body snatchers away from the pyramid, the best way to do it was to absolutely scare the hell out of them. And so when the Egyptians were designing pyramids, they designed them with these kind of built-in scares, mazes, moving walls, self-opening doors, traps, um, the use of snakes and insects were completely commonplace, all to preserve treasures and dead folks. Granted, they were not exactly charging admission for these scares and the public was not lining up for this, but it is one of our earliest examples of humans crafting devices purely intended to scare the crap out of other humans. Hmm. What, what say you? Would that count? I would say that would count. I mean, you're missing, obviously, the scare actors, but the idea of installing a pathway labyrinth, if you will, that the folks would have to walk through um, classifies it. (laughs) Yeah, there's no ADA walkway. (laughs) Right. They got to make sure you watch your foot candles so that you can see where you're going. Right. 
and definitely want to scrape up all the bat guana so as not to create a slippery environment that somebody could fall in and uh, uh, <laughs> potentially are, are break bats, something. That's common in Egypt. I'm not sure. Bats, bat guano, in Egypt. I believe so. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I will. I will fact check on the fly during this next clip. Uh, we'll fast forward a little bit to the time of the Romans, and this is where we start to see more of the uh, entertainment side peek its head through. Uh, we'll we'll be uh, listening very briefly to some mentions of scaring people in theater. The Greeks and Romans also unknowingly kind of seeded the path for haunted attractions as well as their folklore was rich with mazes and labyrinths and filled with monsters. Plus, the Romans did love bloodshed. And this was not just limited to their feeding um, people to the lions and wolves publicly as a punishment. They did this regularly. It was called Dimnatio et Bestia. But their kind of love of bloodshed bled into their theater as well. Theater was a vital part of both Greek and Roman cultures, and it stands to reason that these ancients um, began devising rudimentary special effects to represent their monsters and beasts on stage. So they eventually pioneered a number of theatrical devices that would evolve into spooky elements, that some of which we use today. Um, the Romans and Greeks included in their theater things like fog, trap doors, um, even faking blood and gore. They actually created a lot of different devices that ended up still being being used in kind of creating ghostly apparitions on stage, um, including the deus ex machina, which was used to make people fly. And then they also had this wonderful thing called the Excyclima, which was a platform that they would slide across the stage to reveal dead bodies so that the audience could like really see them well. I'm curious how they were generating the fog. That was, that was something I didn't think to, uh, to look up. Yeah, I... The my theater nerd is trying to not oh do it do counteract it. that so hard because I mean I were, this isn't a theater history episode obviously but like the Romans were not doing theater they were doing the Colosseum and they were instead of fake blood they were actually killing people so that their special effects quote unquote were actually just actual blood on stage um, so the idea of fog I can only imagine they were using. I don't even know. Maybe smoke. Maybe they were just doing smoke. Maybe that was what it was. They built a fire and concentrated the smoke to be the fog. Mm. Well, I mean, um, they would fill the coliseums up with water to stimulate yeah, then, water battles. So I'm sure there's no, no well, not way. even stimulate. They would have actual water battles. They would flood the coliseums. Right. Well, you know, you know what I mean? Like, right. Uh, yeah. Not on the open water battle. Yeah. It's still kind of a simulation, a, uh, a tactical, if you will. Right. Um, but yeah, I I was kind of scratching my head too because I I couldn't necessarily think of any Roman theater. I just it's more just a Colosseum. Yeah, it kind of went to the wayside on the Roman side, and it was more about the prisoner control stuff. Um, but the Greeks, I mean, yeah, they absolutely made some pretty cool crap back in the day. Well, okay. It, am I misremembering in the Romans would dress up animals to make them look like monsters? Or am I making that up? That one I don't know for sure. Hmm. Um, I know the Greeks didn't really use monster, or, uh, animals. 
they, they would have done masks or someone would have been wearing a mask to represent a monster of some sort. Or they would have done puppetry. Mm. Well, actually, uh, briefly on the topic of mask, I have this pretty interesting documentary at the very bottom uh, of this section that talks about the history of uh, westernized Halloween mask. I was listening to some of it last night. It was pretty interesting. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, well, let's, uh, you know what happened after the Romans, right? Uh, plague. The Christians. And- <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one talks a little bit about uh, traveling theatrical Christian troops. So though that Greek and Roman theater was definitely full of bloodshed and gore and all types of horrific elements, by the time we get to the Dark Ages, all of that kind of um, theater kind of fell to the wayside. But we're still seeing small amounts of theater, which leads to the evolution of the haunted house. And this is in the form of pageant plays. During the Dark Ages, life sucks. There's war, there's famine, there's disease, there's little art or even organization for that matter. But we get these preachy theatricals that are traveling through the countryside going from town to town. And during this time, which was from around the 1300s to the 1500s, Europe had recently been converted from Celtic and pagan religions to the practice of Christianity. And pageant wagons toured the land performing plays and preaching the word of God. These were mostly biblical and they were acted out, but in order to keep everybody enticed, they really played up the scarier parts. They were ultimately intended to frighten the masses into staying pious, and the attendees enjoyed the scares and the gore right along with the moral lessons. Hmm. I was also under the impression that the Christians hated theater, but... Uh, yeah, it was a... Pageant plays were kind of like, how do we guess bring entertainment back to people and make them happy but still make them go to church at the same time um so instead of like having them come and sit in the church they got them outside and the pageant plays instead of it was like a little train of wagons that would come into town and each wagon would depict a different scene that was a story from the bible um and the people would like walk from each train or each wagon to each wagon and they would watch you know I'm horrible at stories from the Bible, so pick one. That's what they would watch on the little wagon. Then they'd go to the next one and watch another story. And that's how that worked. And you cut her off and she's going to talk about Hellmouth or. Well, funny enough, I believe that's my next clip. Uh, Yeah, I was going to say that was the big, I guess, quote unquote, special effect would be the Hellmouth in that time period. And uh, just to circle back for a brief second, I consulted with the Book of Knowledge and. It does have this reference by the close uh, by the close of the Middle Ages. The Great Pyramid had gained a reputation as a haunted structure. Others feared entering it because it was home to animals like bats. Yeah, I found the uh, Egyptian fruit bat as a species. Yeah, I think I think the guano was actually used uh, in some capacity. Uh, maybe it's like a it's like a fuel or glue or something. I I forget. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but yes, hell mouths, uh, the gate, the gaping hole opens on the floor uh, and theaters growing popularity only push special, for, uh, special effects along. Uh, let's take a listen. 
even as we move into the Middle Ages, we still continue with the preachy religious plays, but we see this thing called the hell mouth be created. And this is this giant opening on stage, which is supposed to represent this descent into hell. And they were very elaborate. So we're still kind of seeing this theatrical horror happening. Then we move into the Renaissance. And then we really start to see a lot of special effects blossom. Society's love of horror and the development of special effects continue as theater becomes increasingly popular. Ghosts, demons, devils, other monsters make regular appearance in plays, including those of William Shakespeare. I, I didn't think to actually look up an image of uh, of a the Hellmouth. Uh, it's it's basically any image that you can think of, especially in modern day, of like a giant mouth that you walk into with like fog and fire effects and all that that that's what it was um so the mouth would open up and the person would walk through it to descent into hell hmm i feel like that's something we've definitely covered on this show before uh it was the uh travis scott and astro world yep yep that's a very um they're all over the place nowadays i mean you'll start seeing them everywhere now that you know what they are Oh yeah, uh, so that uh, that kind of puts a pin in the Dark Ages, the middle uh, medieval times. Uh, we're we're just now cresting into the Renaissance, and uh, the Renaissance was known for its speed of science. I mean, there's a lot of people uh, getting into like sex and science and more sex, and they were starting to come up with some really cool shit. And this uh, this particular item that we're going to be listening about. I had actually kind of forgotten about it. It's the Magic Lantern, which is basically an old school projector. And uh, this is the, the history about it. It's called a Magic Lantern, and it allowed people to experience movie-like entertainment hundreds of years before the cinema or even photography existed. In the 1650s, a Dutch astronomer, mathematician, and physicist named Christian Huygens projected images using an optical lens and candlelight. The effect must have seemed like magic. Although Huggins didn't come up with the term magic lantern, he's usually credited with its invention. By the 18th century, magic lanterns were hugely popular in the entertainment world, and lanternists used slides like these to narrate their stories. At first, the images were static, like a single frame of film. There are hand-painted images from classic stories, exotic landscapes and supernatural creatures that appeared in magic shows called phantasmagorias. Projectionists began to use special effects that we take for granted in movies today, like dissolving views. The slides also became animated. These mechanical slides have multiple layers of rotating glass discs and lever mechanisms that created motion in a single slide. This creature appears to be tormenting a human, and these ocean waves move. This special slide called a chromatrope creates beautiful abstract patterns like a kaleidoscope. While the magic lantern may seem very low-tech to us today, it actually contains many layers of creative and material innovation. New illumination sources like limelight and eventually electricity meant the projections became brighter and larger. Audiences grew too, filling large theaters where lanternists used stage technology to make their shows even more dramatic, even projecting onto smoke. 
Despite their popularity, the Magic Lantern eventually ended up shrinking down in audience size, but this time into the home. Magic Lantern sets like this could be purchased from catalogs, and sometimes they were even given to children as Christmas gifts. And uh, I do have a rather large resource. <laughs> a lot of it's in Dutch, but uh, it's a big old resource for these, uh, these slides. There's some really nice stuff in here. Uh, after this is uh, uh, a, a trick that uh, I think we've all seen in some form or fashion. It's pretty easy to replicate. You could probably do it at your house if you had the right stuff. Uh, but it's, it's fairly old. Uh, it's, it's even been utilized in the, um, re <laughs> the revival of Tupac. Um, oh, you know what? Real quick. Uh, I just had some other quick facts about the Magic Lantern. Um, they were incredibly popular, uh, in 1895, there was between 30,000 and 60,000 lantern showmen in the United States, uh, giving between 75,000 and 150,000 performances per year, uh, which would have been several shows a week. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, surely you're familiar with the trick of Pepper's ghost, are you not? Uh, yeah, I am fairly, fairly familiar. Yeah, you've been around, you've seen it once or twice? Yeah, I've done it a couple times, yeah, once, yeah. once or twice. Ain't no big deal? Yeah, no, no, no big deal. Groovy. Pepper's Ghost was a Victorian theatrical illusion. The audience saw a ghost suddenly appear on stage uh, with a strange transparent quality which instantly disappeared soon afterwards. The first time the ghost was shown was on Christmas Eve 1862 uh, as part of a performance of a story by Charles Dickens called The Haunted Man and the Ghost's Bargain and it caused a complete sensation. It was all over the newspapers and the public flocked to see it. And this included Queen Victoria's eldest son, Prince Albert. But the thing to remember is that Pepper was quite different from a magician in that he told his audience exactly how it was done. The essential principle of the Pepper's Ghost Delusion was a reflection in a sheet of glass. So originally, a huge sheet of glass projected from the front of the stage at an angle towards the audience. And when a bright spotlight was shone on that actor, his reflection would appear in the sheet of glass and then to make the ghost vanish you simply switch off the spotlight and he vanishes in an instant. So the version of Pepper's Ghost we have in the Buckingham Palace Summer Opening Exhibition essentially follows the original but the difference is rather than having a live actor being reflected in the sheet of glass the actors are recorded on video and then projected onto a screen and it's the screen that's reflected in the glass to create the illusion. So it's using the very best in Victorian technology, but given a 21st century twist. I've definitely made it, uh, I've, I've made it no stranger that while I love the old school Pepper's Ghost and you have an actor and the person that's being re reflected or the image that's being reflected, I do not like and I do not support the idea of using the mocap and resurrecting people to parade them around the, the the world to perform oh no 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 yeah like uh whitney houston and uh, roy orbinson and frank zappa and ronnie james dio and so many others it's no good man um well at this point i think we find ourselves uh, encountering more and more static locations that people can go to uh, 
uh, to actually see some real terror. And we're going to be, this is like 1700s, 1800s, and just like barely, barely kissing the tip of the 1900s. All right. Uh, I don't think we've ever done one. Have we ever done a, um, a wax museum together? Like gone to one? Yeah. No, I've only been to one and that was part of the, the Ripley's in San Antonio, I think. Mm, yeah, Ripley's usually has them. I want to say, uh, I, I would never be able to remember the name, but uh, one time, one week, one city on tour, <laughs> we went and checked one out. Uh, you know, they're all right. They're not my favorite thing. I think the, the medieval torture ones are kind of cool. If there was one nearby, I'd go check it out. Yeah, but- the one in San Antonio had a, like, heavy section on, like, Bible stories again, and, like, it actually, like, depicted crucifixion and all that and i was just like Oof, this is oh heavy. you're right it is san antonio that yeah, is the one I that i've been to yeah little 16 year old me in high school on a orchestra trip was like uh i'll go back outside <laughs> me when i was there yeah 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 uh, <laughs> uh you know there i uh I, and i am thinking of all the the torture scenes that they have there um it's uh it's, it turns out that uh, it's been popular for quite a while, and um, we're gonna we're gonna hear about Matt, uh, Madame Tussaud, uh, who was a wax sculptor. Tussaud. Tussaud. Oh, thank you. Sorry, Tussaud. Tussaud. Tu- Fast and Furious. <laughs> Tussaud. Tussaud. <laughs> um, Tussaud or not Tussaud. That is the question. <laughs> or not too sad. Uh, this is a brief look into her biography. You'd be hard-pressed to find an actual room with Beyonce fist-pumping between members of the royal family. But at Madame Tussard's museums, it's all possible with wax. However, most visitors have no idea the history behind the woman who started it all. Madame Tussard, whose real name is Marie Groscholtz, was born in France in 1761. You might wonder how someone got involved with the wax figure industry, but one glance into Marie's lineage gives the answer. Marie's mother was a widow, and Marie never knew her father. However, that didn't mean she lacked a father figure while growing up. There was one man she learned plenty from. An anatomist named Philippe Curtis grew close with Marie's mother and took the young girl under his wing. He had a special skill, wax sculpting. That came in handy for building models of the human body. It also intersected with Marie's family in an unusual way. If you look at the relatives of Marie's bloodline, she actually came from a long line of executioners. That's right, her family had a morbid past that definitely resulted in her fascination with cadavers. But how'd the wax fit in? The bloody French Revolution actually created a massive demand for wax sculptures. The mannequins acted as a kind of real-time political commentary. And it was always Marie's job to make the death masks of the recently deceased. As lifelike and amazing as many of Marie's masks were, her work required her to find a comfort in rather grotesque environments. She was surrounded by death frequently, but she welcomed the workload. This was the impression made of Marie Antoinette, France's last queen before the revolution's end, almost immediately after she was guillotined on October 16, 1793. As Marie learned during her career, she needed to be ready at a moment's notice. 
she kept her ear to the ground when it came to the deaths of prominent figures. When Charlotte Corday assassinated Jean-Paul Marat, Marie arrived to the scene so fast police hadn't finished processing the killer yet. Yeah, you gotta be fast on your feet. You gotta, you gotta strike while the iron's hot and the flesh is warm. Uh, in 1802, Madame Tussaud took several provocative wax figures of those condemned during the Revolution, the French Revolution, and uh, created a smaller ver version of, uh, of, a, an, of another exhibit. Uh, she, she ended up making another one in England, um, and she displayed a lot of these figures, uh, such as uh, Jacobin leader Maximilian uh, Robespierre, in the same room as Britain's King George III, which pissed a couple of people off. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of anim animosity between people at the time. Uh, so hmm. she ended up putting uh, some of the models in a back room, uh, which she called the separate room, uh, which she would she could consign those who were not com com uh, comfortably compatible with the portraits of the establishment, uh, but they were nonetheless interesting. Uh, the name of this separate room was first called the Dead Room, or the Black Room, uh, because of its somber blackness. However, the room officially became the, quote, Chamber of Horrors in 1843, after Tussauds used the term in an advertisement, announcing uh, that for an additional uh, $6, visitors would be allowed admittance uh, into two rooms of Napoleon and the Chamber of Horrors. Pretty cool. Um, and... Uh, this next clip gets into a little bit about the uh, type of displays that she would set up. As popular as Marie's sculpting was, her personal life was far less satisfying. Her lazy husband didn't contribute anything. So at age 40, Marie packed her bags and ran off to England to achieve a well-filled purse. After arriving at the new country, she partnered with a man named Paul Philipstall, who was a colleague of her mentor, Philippe Curtis. The pair established a traveling cultural show, and Marie eventually set up a permanent shop on London's Baker Street. She called her shop Toussard's Baker Street Gallery. It was a 5,000-square-foot salon filled with comfortable seating and ornate decor, so visitors could admire her variety of sculptures in an engaging environment. The salon held a variety of famous figures, especially models of infamous criminals. Two hugely popular mannequins were William Burke and William Hare, two known body snatchers. Then, after the success of the salon, came Marie's Chamber of Horrors. The Chamber of Horrors was described as the snobbish glamour of royalty, as well as the thrill of being au fait with the latest gruesome murder of assassination. And it was exactly that. Visitors with strong stomachs were treated to various recreations of famous murder scenes, and the show overall paid tribute to the French Revolution. Madame Marie was soon compared to another household name in live entertainment. Marie was a hustler, just like P.T. Barnum in America with his circus and ornate live performances. Both helped create what we currently recognize as the concept of celebrity, and to this day her museums are keeping up with the times. The satirical magazine Punch praised her contribution, saying, in these days, no one can be considered properly popular unless he's admitted into the company of Madame Tussard celebrities in Baker Street. Madame Tussard died in 1840, and at the time of her death, the wax museum she created was England's most popular tourist attraction. But just because she made mannequins cool, it doesn't mean people everywhere find them charming. Groovy. <laughs> I don't have a good charming ISO. 
Um, but yeah, uh, you got any other additional thoughts? Uh, you know, one of the items that they had was a working model of a guillotine. Yeah, I was just reading that. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. And they, uh, her son tracked down the actual blade uh, used to decapitate uh, French elite in 1793 and 1794. Uh, he actually acquired it from a royal executioner. <laughs> um, so yeah. We'll uh we'll continue on a little little further. Uh you being the theater history buff, uh this was something that I was definitely not familiar with. I'm a I'm a little ashamed to be honest. Uh the Grand Guggenhall Theater. You know anything about this one? Uh the Guggenhall is that the New York one? Or is that well where's it at? This is a French theater. Oh, then I know nothing about it. A.K.A. the Theater of the Great Puppet, which operated from 1897 to 1962 uh, until it was finally closed after World War II. Wow. Um, and this 124% sounds like it's right up my alley uh, because they really get into the spectacle. Gronguignol's antecedent is melodrama, with its anti-literary, visually forward focus on sensation and surprise. But let's not forget André Antoine and the Théâtre Libre, because, believe it or not, the Gronguignol, with all its rabies and insanity and troubling exoticism, is another offshoot of French naturalism. It took a bunch of inspiration from the sordid side of naturalism, the side that seemed to delight in depraved situations designed to shock middle-class theatergoers. One of the specialities of the Théâtre Libre were short, semi-documentary one-act plays called Comédies Rosses, usually translated as cynical or bitter comedies, which depicted a low-life world of thieves, prostitutes, alcoholism, and violence. A lot of these comedies were based on a kind of newspaper story called the Fée de which were strange but true vignettes, usually about crime or horrifying accidents that filled up the pages of popular papers and were lavishly illustrated. Unlike melodrama, they usually had sad or tragic endings. Oscar Metenier, one of the Théâtre Libre's co-founders, was a former tabloid journalist who once took André Antoine to an execution for fun. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Metenier specialized in churning out comedies russ inspired by Fay divers. A few years after the Théâtre Libre folded, Metenier opened the Théâtre du Grand Guignol in Paris in 1897. The name comes from Guignol, a character in the French version of the Punch and Judy puppet shows. Guignol was a working class man known for his courage and wit. So, is this a puppet show for grown-ups? Maybe? Are the human actors just big puppets? Maybe. Is it part of some cryptic conspiracy having to do with Guignol's trade as a silk weaver? Probably not, but also, maybe. I mean, French puns can be very complicated. An evening at the Grand Guignol would usually feature five or six short plays, alternating comedies russ with shockers and comedy comedies, a method known as hot and cold showers. Metinier ran the theater for a few years and sold it to Max Maury, who moved it away from slice of life plays and toward horror vignettes, slice of death dramas, as one critic called them. As a director, Maury demanded absolute precision, just like Antoine. But in 1915, he sold the Grand Guignol to Camille Choisy, who moved the acting away from naturalistic and toward a more stylized approach. Oh, approach. Ah, slice of death. I like that. I like that a lot. And uh, you can only imagine that it's about to get really gruesome here. 
I'm so you don't understand how disappointed I am in myself. Okay. Because you're excited about this? No, 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 no. I would definitely like it would be expected that I, that I should be excited about this. <laughs> I'm more upset that I did not uh I did not know anything about this uh prior to last night. It's no good, man. What have I done? Yeah, I've never heard of it before either. Um yeah, what kind of uh <laughs> let's take a listen in, into what kind of tricks this theater would pull. In its 65 years, the Grand Guignol produced about 1,200 plays. Today, the term Grand Guignol is synonymous with the shockers, the blood and sometimes even guts offerings, the farces about sexual infidelity and the comedies Russ about lower class depravity have mostly faded from memory. When it came to the shockers, the great writer was Andre Delord, AKA the Prince of Terror. He was a doctor's kid, and even from an early age, he had an unhealthy interest in suffering. He used to like to listen to the patients screaming behind his father's door. He said that he wanted to write a play so terrifying that the whole audience would flee the theater. You know, like typical artist goals. Famous psychologist Alfred Binet was another popular Grand Guignol playwright and frequent Delors collaborator. He created the Binet Intelligence Test, which included charming questions such as, what is the first thing you would do if you came home after school and found your mother strangled and mutilated? Their plays and those of other Guignolers favored themes like mutilation, insanity, strangulation, paralysis, hypnosis, leprosy, live burial, guillotining, mountaineering accidents, and the gouging out of eyes. Rabies was also weirdly popular. One famous actress, Maxa, said that she'd been killed at least 60 different ways. It's not completely clear how or why audiences enjoyed the Grand Guignol. Did they feel genuinely afraid of the over-the-top horrors, or did they laugh at them? Until its last decades, the Guignol never favored a camp style of performance. The actors were instructed to make the scenes of murder, torture, and rape look and feel as real as possible. They gauged their effectiveness by the number of patrons who fainted at the end of each sketch. Sometimes as many as a dozen people went unconscious. Sort of like the inverse of a standing ovation, I guess. To make the short plays even more horrifying, the Grand Guignol developed a bunch of gruesome stage techniques too. There was usually at least one vat of fake blood warming backstage. A lighter and runnier liquid was used for new wounds, a darker and stickier fluid for old ones. Stage weapons were invented that retracted into their handles or that simulated bleeding when moved across the flesh. Actors chewed soap to mimic rabies and wielded prosthetics meant to simulate the burning and flaying and amputation of limbs. One company manager purchased a bunch of eyeballs from a taxidermist hoping to find a type that would bounce convincingly. And you see what I'm saying now? <laughs> yeah, this is I mean maybe there's a reason why they didn't teach us this in college. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, one of the things they, they didn't discuss there, but um, the, the, the way they got the blood made was, and they were looking for really bright blood so it would show well on stage, they, uh, they ended up mixing glycerin and crushed up beetles that would make a red pigment. Hmm. But yeah, they got uh, animal organs that they were kind of using as blood bags, so like uh, intestines, linings, and shit like that. A lot of actors got hurt <laughs> because they're supposed to get stabbed, but there's no 
you know, fight call. There's no stage manager saying, all right, 15 till fight call. Right. You know, they're just going for it. Uh, it's a, it was a wild and wacky time. Yeah. And I do have, I love the posters. Oh my God. These are gorgeous. I just dropped that one. Um, a link to some, a little gallery in the chat. Um, but yeah, there's no shortage of horrifying scenes that are depicted. Um, and this idea of hot and cold showers, I, I like that. I don't think I've ever seen a show like that that aims to go from one far extreme to the opposite far extreme in terms of comedy and, and tragedy and just back to back so quickly on edge. Yeah, I can't think of anything. Um, so yeah, you know, it's uh I I think I would have been here quite a bit if, if given I lived in in that time timeline, you know, in that era. Right. In um, France. In France. Then <laughs> of course I would have been <laughs> French, but uh, right. I guess it would pay off. I suppose. Uh so after this uh this lands us in the 20th century. And we're finally starting to see paid haunted attractions. And the very first one was in Liphook, England. This is a, a this one sounded pretty interesting. Um, there is a picture of it. Uh, and apparently this small haunted house um, had uh, uneven floors, vibrating walls and puffs of air uh, that were all driven by steam which I thought was pretty fun. And the building still stands. I, I think it's a uh, park somewhere. You can go check it out. Still uh, operates or just stands. I, I do not have an answer. Ah. Yeah. Uh, oh, it still operates. Yeah, there it is. This oh, attraction nice. still operates today at Hollycomb steam in, uh, in country in Hampshire, in the country in Hampshire, England. Oh, cool. Mm hmm. Let's, uh, let's, let's hear a little bit of what, about what's going on in this era. By the early 1900s, the beginning of the 20th century, we see the height of the traveling carnival. And with it, we see the rise of the sideshow or, and I apologize for this term, the traveling freak show. Patrons would walk through these attractions, looking at human deformities and other oddities, many of them faked. And these traveling shows also begin to flirt with different horror experiences, including fortune tellers and mind readers and seances. A few of them also began to include very rudimentary fun houses. A few years into the century, and dark rides also became popular amusement attractions. The best-known variation of this is likely the Tunnel of Love, but if we think about Disney's Haunted Mansion, it's still a dark ride. As amusement parks and family fun centers kind of sprang up all over the nation, many could not afford big roller coasters, so some offered cheap fun houses and rudimentary haunted houses to pull in patrons. These were often mazes that included mirrors and buzzers and ladders and different uh, pathways that you had to try to squeeze through, but ultimately they were there for the thrill and the act of confusing patrons. Around this same time, many of the residential houses built during the 1800s had become worn down and dilapidated. And to prevent children from exploring these buildings, adults would often say that ghosts inhabited these neglected homes, further fueling kind of the mystique of these mysterious haunted dwellings, which is why around this time period, we start to associate Gothic Victorian architecture with hauntings. The first ever recorded haunted attraction, which I put in quotes, was the Orton and Spooner Ghost House, which opened in 1915 in the United Kingdom as part of the Edwardian Fair. 
Hmm. And I guess uh, during this this era, Great Depression and whatnot, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> and I do intentionally mean this pun, a lot of Hellraisers out there, and and heavy on the tricks, right? Um, the uh, this uh, next clip gets into a little bit of about what was going on in 1933, actually. So fast forward to the 1930s. Trick-or-treating was really starting to catch on. The Great Depression was in full swing. And some say the stress that families were under just to put food on the table was really being passed along to the children. And this is what caused the trick-or-treating pranks of young boys to go from harmless fun to mildly annoying to downright vandalism. There were plenty of people who didn't see the trick-or-treating tricks as harmless fun even before the Great Depression. So add in the stress of the Depression with the increase in the severity of young men's Halloween antics, and you've got yourself some police reports where you used to have some heavy sighs and eye rolls. Traditionally, it was very common for young boys to do things like steal the garden gate and put it on their roof. And while this was annoying, there seemed to be an understanding that the boys would get their laughs and then return the next day to replace the gate back where they found it. One boy's craft guide, because apparently that used to be a thing, said, this is the only evening on which a boy can feel free to play pranks outdoors without danger of being pinched. And it is his delight to scare passing pedestrians, ring doorbells, and carry off the neighbor's gates. According to the guide, even if a boy had to fetch the gates he stole out of the tree he left it in, the punishment is nothing compared to the sports the pranks have furnished him. So while not everyone thought it was funny, it sounds like people generally went along with it because ultimately everything was put back in order the next day. But the issue arose on that fateful Halloween 1933 when young boys took it just a bit too far. Maybe it was the stress of the depression and the need to blow off a little extra steam than normal, or maybe they were just on a major sugar crush. Either way, hundreds of young boys all over the country switched from their normal Halloween mischief into an all-out vandalism, physical assaults, and sporadic acts of violence. They flipped over automobiles, sawed down telephone poles, and even taunted the police, which may not seem that bad to you now, but kids were actually raised to be respectful back then, especially to authority figures. So I'm sure this was extremely scandalous and very concerning to their parents. Mm, you know what? I'm even more annoyed with this, uh, with this particular video. So we'll skip the second part of this one. And I can just tell you what it is here. No problem. Um, to kind of curtail all of the vandalism uh, and the shenanigans and the tricks and whatnot, a lot of community DIY um, haunts started popping up. Uh, American families realized that they could make their own fun with some cardboard cut in the shape of a cat, very dark rooms, and stringy fake spiderwebs. And they do this stuff in like basements, attics, uh, living rooms, what have you. And uh, you could hit multiple in a night, you know, just go from house to house. Uh, there was one quote from a pamphlet, 1937, uh, and it, it was giving a, uh, uh, a description of a trail of terror. And this is what it had to say. An outside entrance leads to a rendezvous with ghosts and witches in the cellar or attic. Hang old fur strips of raw liver on the walls where one fills his way to dark steps. 
Weird moans and howls come from dark corners. Damp sponges and hair nets hung from the ceiling touch his face. At one place, Tig, who is a guard dog, uh, who is a guard dressed as a dog, suddenly jumps out, uh, jumps out at him, barking and growling. Doorways are blocked so that guests must crawl through a long, dark tunnel. At the end, he hears a plaintive meow and sees a black cardboard uh, cat outlined in luminous paint. I didn't even catch that. Wow. <laughs> Crawl through the tunnel. <laughs> Let the radium guide your path. Uh, now, I do... Um, you're definitely the, uh, the resident Disney fan. Um, although I do like this ride, uh, the Haunted Mansion, uh, specifically in Disneyland. Yeah. Um, I believe we'll uh, skip the clips just for time's sake. Uh, but one thing I did not realize is that... Uh, the Haunted Mansion was actually planned to be uh, part of the original opening. It was one of the first things that they uh, had in mind, or Walt yeah. Disney had in mind. Yeah, and I think it opened up like two years after the original. Like, grand opening, it was still being built, and I think it opened like two or three years afterwards to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1967, if I remember correctly. So that'd be two years, mm-hmm. right? Was it 63 or 65? Oh, no. I'm not a Disneyland person. I'm more Disney World. Um, but yeah, this uh, and that one was... Uh, they based it off of a mansion in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. In the interior, they used some of the uh, Winchester House in San Jose. Uh, you know, it's pretty neat. You know, they put a lot of effort into it. They got the Pepper's Ghost, of course. The It was one of the first ride or second rides to to have the Ford automated trolley thing. Yeah. Oh, for the cars? Yeah, the ride. Mm-hmm. The dark ride aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because dark rides are also taken off around the same time, too. And, uh, you know, I, I, if if Disney was sitting there considering opening the park with, uh, with one of these on the premises, even though it didn't happen, but if it was in his considerations, I, you know, it was like, it definitely made an impression on him, I would say. Yeah, and well, Disney was really ex- inspired by the World's Fair stuff. So I'm. Oh yeah. Probably saw this at a World's Fair and was like, "I'm gonna put this in my park." Well, no, the uh, they actually paused the building of the Haunted Mansion so that they could focus on the World's Fair. And it wasn't oh. until that wrapped up that they came back okay. and finished it. Gotcha. Because um, that's where they also saw saw the the tram system from Ford. Hmm. So, um. Uh, this is uh, this is now 1984, and um, this clip is rather depressing, I would say. But I just uh, I think it it highlights <laughs> I think it highlights why rules uh, or how rules come to be, how laws are created. And uh, with you working in the theme parks and the haunted houses, uh, you've learned a thing or two about the ADA. And the Americans with Disabilities Act and all sorts of OSHA safety regulations, right? Oh, yeah. Fire codes out the ass. Yeah. Um, are you familiar with what happened at Six Flags in New Jersey in 1984? No. Mm, not good. They, oh, uh, okay. Just goes to show you should probably have sprinklers installed. Uh-huh. From a New York Times piece from May 13th. 
There were no sprinklers or smoke alarms inside the haunted castle, a narrow, dimly lit maze of aluminum containers that had three exits equipped with panic bars on its 100 foot by 70 foot perimeter. Authorities and witnesses described a fearsome holocaust in which wind-whipped flames soared into the night sky and temperatures of more than 2,000 degrees melted metal walls and turned interiors into raging infernos. It became like an oven, said Edward J. Turnbach, the Ocean County prosecutor. Witnesses described scenes of confusion and terror as flames erupted shortly after 6.30 p.m. And heavy, acrid smoke began pouring through the corridors where 16 patrons were groping their way along ghostly sets of make-believe monsters, cobwebs, and eerie sounds. Some of those caught inside were uncertain whether the first signs of trouble were real or just part of the act. After walking for a while, something was choking us, said Joan Mentor, 20 years old, of Brooklyn, who was there with four friends. Being that it was a haunted castle, we thought it was something to scare us. I stumbled and fell and got up and just kept running, she said. I saw a light and then I was outside. I was coughing and rubbing my eyes and I turned to see if we all got out and I looked at the castle and it went up in flames. Witnesses told of bizarre contrasts during the firefighter's grim task. Screams of hilarity from the streaking roller coaster and other rides, the blare of the rock band Golden Earring, and the shouts of hawkers and pitchmen from nearby arcades. The hubbub subsided only after the park was closed at about 8 p.m., two hours early. The flames were confined to the haunted castle, and only a few minor injuries were mentioned in first reports of the incident. It was several hours after the fire was brought under control and firefighters had a chance to search the ruins that the bodies were found. Initially, we thought they were mannequins, but then we discovered they were bodies said Police Commissioner Richard Boris of Jackson Township. Identifications of the dead were based partly on rings, jewelry, car keys, and other possessions found with the victims, and partly on the basis of names of missing youngsters provided by families. Seven of the bodies were found huddled in a corner only 20 feet from an emergency exit, and the eighth victim was found a short distance away. They all suffocated from smoke inhalation. Again, there were no sprinklers or alarms in the haunted castle. They had evidently given up on smoke alarms after repeated vandalism by attendees, and instead used a staff member who walked the attraction looking for issues, who was outside collecting trash at the time of the fire. Mmm. Tragic shit, man. It's, I mean, (laughs) I'm only thinking about, you know, my experience, and I mean, none of our stuff had sprinklers in them, because per OSHA, since it's all temporary structure, you don't have to have that. Um, So it's just unfortunate that that accident happened. Yeah, the, um, and I I think uh, the executives of Six Flags, uh, of that particular park, they, um, you know, there's a class action lawsuit. It was, uh, I don't think it was settled. No, it was changed to, um, instead of paying out, they had to uh, do community time, mm. community service, uh, which, you know, eh, eh. Um, but yeah. I'm assuming Flamex wasn't invented yet. I doubt it. <laughs> um, now, in a lot of the videos that I was, I had been watching through, they, they do uh, have short interviews with people that are running modern day uh, haunted mazes. And these are your more permanent structures. And they're talking about, you know, these like, $15,000 water sprinkler systems and one thing in the code changes and then you got to stay up to date. Um, it was just absolutely crazy. It's a, uh, if you're trying to build up a, a permanent location, you got a big uh, barrier of cost. What, what, what's the term barrier of entry? 
Right. And it's well, a high I, admission fee. Yeah. And I can only imagine, you know, that's where the loophole, right? If you're doing a temporary structure, you don't have to follow those codes and stuff. Um, but then you see people who leave those temporary structures up in a more permanent sense. And that's just causing potential for crazy things to happen. Yeah. I mean, these, uh, we just went and checked out one that was out in the middle of the farmland, you know? Yeah. And I mean, to their credit though, I was, when I was walking through stuff, everything was like concrete and metal. Um, so for the most part, it wasn't like deter. It wasn't going to be able to deteriorate, uh, and have like cave-ins or anything like that. Um, and obviously metal gets hot. It doesn't like burn and neither does concrete, but (laughs) steel beams do. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness um you remember uh you remember that one clip that we were listening to and was talking about the pageant wagons yeah and uh you know you got the stories of the bible sodom and gomorrah and all that um the uh that mentality turns out never really went away are you are you uh <laughs> have you ever been to any of the evangelical houses of death nope can't say i have oh strap in because here we go we're going straight to hell there are two aims to scare me here at liberty university in lynchburg virginia the first is to frighten people the second to save their souls how you guys doing tonight i want to tell you a little bit about what scammer is and why we put it on there's a lot of imagery in the different houses that you see and walking through the woods of death um, and death is one of those things that we don't like to think about. That's part of the reason why we do scare man, to make you start thinking about that. And what happens to life after death? I believe in the Bible. I believe that it is the Word of God and that it is the source of truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to pause because color, uh, the source of truth is actually an RSS feed. Uh, I just wanted to make that clarification. We'll continue on. Thousands of people come from not just Virginia, but all over the country to Scaremare. And there are really two components to it. The first is to scare the bejesus out of you. Do I know you? (laughs) There'll be lots of students who are acting a range of roles that are basically supposed to teach you about mortality, that death is just around the corner and can happen to us every day. And when you're all softened up and freaked out and thinking about uh, about questions of life or death comes the second part, the preaching tents, at which the express aim is to try and save your soul. And when I ask people here, well, what happens if your soul isn't saved? They're very clear. Hell and damnation. Earlier, I spoke to Steve Vandergriff, a professor at Liberty University who organizes the event. It sort of looks impressive i think mm. so they come to get scared and you hope they they leave with with christ in their well, hearts or yes now, our, obviously our objective is to present that message of christ to the students not every student's going to respond to that but we've had thousands that have so it's an evangelizing event with a with a halloween yes we would, we would definitely call it an evangelistic outreach event and what better time of the year to do it than october we believe that you know jesus said i am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. And so we think there is an exclusiveness uh, to, to the, uh, the promise that, that Christ gives. And so that's why we do it. I the church there, and then I went with Youth for Christ. We've got a fog machine over here, and this thing fogs the whole room. Whoa, 
Oh my god. <laughs> I thought it was a little racist that they tried to scare the black guy with the dog. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Uh, just that whole thing is a big old nope. Uh, nope. S- some no, scenes you. would depict uh, um, a devil ushering a gay man dying of AIDS into a fiery pit. Now, Great. okay, granted, this is Washington Post, so they're a little on the bias side. Uh, although I would not necessarily put it past uh, Scaremare. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm taking nobody's side, per, per usual. Um, a teenager who is raped at a drug-filled rave commits suicide and also goes to hell. Wow. A young girl hemorrhaging from an abortion repents at the last minute, and so, although she dies, an angel comes and takes her away. (laughs) I don't want to see no angels in my haunted houses. (laughs) Well, I mean, Lucifer, come on. Fallen angel, sure. But uh, uh, name, I can't name any haunted houses where Lucifer's actually been depicted. Uh, I would have to think about it. Uh huh. I would have to think about it long and hard. Um, hmm. Interesting proposal. I'm sure there's some like Luciferian houses out there. Potentially. I mean, even Satan. Like, I haven't. The only one I can maybe think of is the 13. Haunted House at Horror Nights, the Ozzy Osbourne one. Mm. That's the only one I can think of that might have had an actual depiction of Satan or Lucifer. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. I've not been. Uh, this is uh, this is pretty much modern day times now, uh, as far as haunted houses. I figured we got uh, Bush Gardens, some of the other ones that we've been to. Uh, you went to Universal uh, last year? Yep. So we can definitely talk about those but there's been a new style of house that's uh, been cropping up and these are the waiver houses um, now I could have done clips from McCammy Manor which is the one in San Diego but uh, fuck those guys they got enough coverage we'll actually take a look at a haunted house based in New York called the what was this one called the Blackout Extreme Haunt. Like I said, it's located in New York, and according to their website, there's a ton of rules you have to follow. The most notable ones being, you have to be 18 years or older, no underage people are allowed. You cannot walk through with a group of friends or even one other friend. You have to go alone. One of the rules said, do not ever touch the walls. Another said, do not talk to the actors under any circumstance unless specifically instructed to do so. And generally just do exactly what you're told. And if you're not, then nothing bad happens. You're just kicked out. If you decide at any point during the haunt that you just can't do this, then you can yell safety and the experience will stop immediately. You'll be escorted out. And again, you won't get a refund, but you also can't just skip a part. If you don't like that part, you have to do it all or nothing. If you say safety, you're out. But you know, this is how responsible extreme haunts are supposed to act. And people that have gone through said that the waiver you have to sign is of course, very long since it involves the actors, you know, interacting with you a lot more. By the way, an entry fee is about 45 US dollars. So I've watched a lot of videos and I've read a lot of firsthand accounts of people that have actually gone through. So I'm going to tell you everything that might happen if you chose to go through the haunt. Mm, You're not really into the waiver shit, are you? 
Uh, nope. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Uh, I've heard such crazy stuff out of those houses. I have just no interest. I think the one thing that kind of gets me hung up on it is, uh, especially with the McCammy, is the way they film it all. So they turn you into content. Yeah. Uh, which I'm not necessarily about. I think if it was less cameras, I think it would be more interesting. Because now they're just doing it to you for the camera, right? And I mean, I'm in a sense, that could be a safety thing, too. If something were to come to a lawsuit, they have that documented footage to go with it. This is this is different than area cameras. I mean, this, oh. they they they're filming. They are they are filming content. Oh, we watched a documentary about this. I think I remember what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't think it's McCammy Manor specifically, but there was this other guy who's doing something like that, and he's all about getting the camera right up in people's faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's uh what what type of what type of experiences do you think you could expect if you had to if you had to just name one at one of these at the blackout uh extreme haunt specifically um like what could you ex- i mean what could i expect or what have i heard that's happened at these places what's uh, just uh, mm-hmm, i'm not sure uh let's take a guess uh, this one specifically what what type of stuff do you think they do they're going to tie you up. They're probably going to put you in places, probably stick stuff in your mouth, mm. um, or have, like, have you eat things blindfolded, that kind of stuff. Oh, my goodness. Good guess. Mm-hmm. Good guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, they definitely took, a, took a, a, a page out of the CIA's book for this one. So, of course, you may be waterboarded, and for a lot of people, they say that this is definitely the worst and scariest part. And by waterboarded, I mean a sack will be put over your head and cups of water will be dropped on your face, which can be really scary because you can't see and the water makes it really hard to breathe. However, it's not as intense as real waterboarding torture, but the psychological impact is definitely real. And then according to some other accounts, at the end of your waterboarding session, you're instructed to scream as loud as you can. And the next person in the next room that's going to be waterboarded next will hear you scream. And so they'll be really scared of what's coming next because they know that's their next stop. And then they'll be instructed to scream at the end of their waterboarding session and so on and so forth. So every single person that's about to enter that particular room, hears other people screaming first. And so it just messes with their psyche before they've even experienced it. You're generally just through the entire thing thrown around really roughly by the actors. But the good news is that everybody says you're not punched or actually harmed in any way. They don't really physically hurt you. They're just a little rough with you to get you through. People say the worst that happens is they've had some bruises upon exiting. Uh, There are some scenes including some vomiting and one person that went through said that they had to help this guy who was having a really violent hard time going to the bathroom and he had to help him with it while he cried and screamed pitifully. And she said it wasn't scary, but it was really messed up. On another account, they said that somebody might vomit into a toilet. There might be just vomiting in general, but one person said that somebody vomited into a toilet in front of them and then they were instructed to dig out a key from their vomit in the toilet in order to get to the next part of the haunt. There's gonna be a lot of sensory deprivation. You're gonna be thrown into a room and then suddenly it'll be 
pitch black and then there's going to be super loud noises with the pitch blackness just to disorient you and confuse you uh super spoopy yeah i think she said it i mean the quote right there where it's not really scary it's just messed up like that's where i for me at least it's not uh attractive in any sense of the phrase like to try that out Mm, maybe uh <laughs> maybe this next uh set of tactics would entice you many no. people that go through have described being forced to crawl through a very tight space so people with claustrophobia this is not the place for you they have to crawl through the really tight place and then while they're doing it somebody grabs their ankles screams for them not to leave and tries to pull them back for several minutes one person even said that they saw the figure that was going to jump out at them and they were posing as a dead body and then all of a sudden comes to life and grabs them one person said their mouth got probed with fingers even though the actor was wearing gloves, but still. Some people have said that they've been stripped completely naked, that the actors forced them to strip naked and took their clothes off for them. And then you see flashing red lights and you see cameras everywhere. So it looks like you're being recorded. So you're walking through naked and have cameras on you. That's a really good psychological torture because a lot of people's worst fear is being naked or being in public and having people see you walk around naked. However, in the regular haunts, the actors will very often be naked and i don't mean mostly naked i mean completely naked they'll often simulate mass or other sexual acts with each other and sometimes even simulating some people say that they're pretty much attacked out of nowhere and basically jumped and then their shirt is lifted up and they are stapled with a staple gun. Now, of course, the staples are not real. The staple gun is empty, but they lift up your shirt, touch it to you, and you could still hear the punching and the sound effects of the staple gun in your skin. Nobody's harmed, like I said, but that one psychologically would really mess you up. It would really mess you up. <laughs> the shame. Be afraid of your shame. You should be terrified. Um, now, most of this kind of, eh, eh, it's been done. I've heard it, seen it. Oh, I got to stick my hand in the vomit. Oh, no. Barbertown population, this guy. This next clip. And this I, don't, I don't think you would just be bummed out if you had to stick your hand in vomit. Oh, no, no, no. See, the best part is I would do it and then I would start vomiting and then yeah. it's like game on. Like, it's uh, just back it, and forth. Yeah, forever, eternally. <laughs> um, this, uh, this next clip is the last one. And um, they really sold me on it. After I heard about what is the alleged uh, most infamous scene, I was like, I'm there. Sign me up. My only, my only request is that I can get it with my teeth. And then, of course, there's the infamous tampon scene. And if you read anything about this, you'll see people who've gone through talk about this in almost every account. So they seem to do this to most people. But basically, the scene is disgusting. So listen to this part at your own risk. You're led into a bathroom or a room with a woman. And she will get very close to you and tell you to, quote unquote, pull the string and then you have to pull the tampon out of her. It's a used tampon, and then she'll make you put it in your mouth. Now, of course, people have said they also know that this is fake. There's no real blood involved, and they're not even really pulling a tampon out of the woman. It's simulated, it's just kind of made to 
be very realistic. But people have said it seems very realistic and the taste is even very realistic. And lastly, you may also be subject to videos of some animal abuse. And again, we're pretty sure it's fake and that no real animals were harmed, but still that would be a nope for me. How would people know if it tasted realistic is what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they about nailed it. <laughs> yeah, it's a big old no for me, thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, damn, I've heard of the puppeteer pulling strings. I didn't realize that uh, <laughs> there was just one that you needed. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's just, it's, um, I like it. It's a uh, very, very, uh, Spect uh, spectacle driven um because surely they're not going to make you eat something i wouldn't so, even say it's so spectacle it's all shock yeah it's pretty it, it would most people would consider that fairly shocking i would right. say uh no no question in my mind about that and uh well if you know that it's fake then what does it matter but how do you know it's fake again i i can't imagine that you could publicize feeding people tampons that are actually used without getting a little health and safety sick well yeah ass. no that's a big health and safety thing yeah but i've heard of some of these places they'll like actually like cut you and stuff too Mm-hmm. yeah that mccammy uh place will uh cut your hair and shit like that mm -hmm. uh rough you up uh, i don't know if there's any that are like the snuff film film sort of grindhouse uh terrorizing level where you're actually oh were they like cut your leg off <laughs> no I <laughs> well fingernails and shit like that no i don't think so i think it's i from what i've heard it's like they might like poke a safety pin through you or you know real minimal stuff yeah yeah i'm sure it pissed a couple people off um, but that's the, that's the brief history of haunted attractions all the way from Egyptian tombs to eat the tampon, eat the goddess. There it is. Eat the goddess. It was our episode title last week, last night. Mm. Eat the goddess episode one twenty three, the ecstasy of drinking blood. It was the full title. Mm. Um, yeah. Was, uh, anything stood out? Anything you didn't know? Anything that you didn't know? Anything you got questions about? Well, I, I mean, I think the interesting part is a lot of stuff is still being used to this day, i.e. Pepper's Ghost is still used quite frequently in modern day um, theater and haunted attractions. And just, I guess, yeah, from there, just how, I guess the through line is very similar all the way going. Mm-hmm. From the pageant pageantry wagons i mean you can still go to the dollar general and and get cheapo uh yard projectors for for any season and they'll just throw a little static image that maybe will spin around in a circle or something right snowmen bats ghosts what have you mm -hmm. um and people definitely like the thrill of bloodshed still <laughs> That ain't going away, going away anytime soon, no siree. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that, that that's everything I got. You want to check out a voicemail? Sure. Oh, we got uh, we got one. Rusty, 
That was scary. Uh, Kandarian demon? Can no, it wasn't. It wasn't enough swearing. Ah, okay. Yeah, not enough tree branches. Um, and I don't know. It, it kind of had like a the the more more of um the possessed zombie sort of vibe rather than your traditional George Romero like one that uh, you've taken the mind over. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. It's a s- scheme to chew on. Um, Make Heroism uh, sent me some stuff that I've featured in tonight's intermission. Uh, this one's got... Oh, I was very, very happy to find some of these tracks for tonight. And I, I think it makes it all the more wonderful. So I can't wait for y'all to hear it. Uh, you get a couple of parodies. You got a couple of covers. It's actually... All covers and commercials. What's not to love? But uh, when we get back, we'll uh, we'll be taking a look at the time we spent at Ponder Parks. Let's do it.
any crazier let's go right now to the mistress of the night please bring on elvira You look like a great crowd 
as a scientist's human transplantation experiment runs amok. The Astro-Zombies. It is done, Francho. John Carradine and Wendell Corey star in one of the most frightening horror films ever made. Watch in terror, scream in fright, thrill to breathless excitement as these skull-faced astro-zombies strike blindly at living flesh, tearing, ripping, and killing with blood-drenched fury. Unbearable suspense and sadistic terror grip the senses as these human transplants threaten the safety of a city. This is a very delicate situation. We are concerned with the mutilation murders that have occurred over the past six months. The beautiful, voluptuous, deadly, vicious Satana, a woman who would stop at nothing to gain control over the astro-zombies, whose creed was kill, kill, kill. Killing. Between them, they created a blood-soaked reign of terror to stagger the imagination. The astro-zombies are strange, weird, unbelievable breed of living dead in human form. Their deranged, transplanted brains could only lead them to murder. Action to thrill you. Suspense to make your blood curdle. You watch in frightened fascination. Beating hearts and throbbing, living brains are transplanted by a scientist whose motives are entirely dedicated to evil. Come on. Who are you? Watch as the vicious Satana tortures her victim. Watch as the astro-zombies attack with maniacal fury. Watch as a deadly weapon cuts a head in two. Watch as the blood flows and splatters the screen. Watch the astro-zombies. You will die a thousand deaths as you watch the astro-zombies, starring Wendell Corey and John Carradine. You know what has caused all this? Is it voodoo? Lucas, not, 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 man. The father, my father, always say, when the earth spit out the dead, they will come back to suck the blood from the living. That's nonsense. That's just a stupid superstition. Yes, you are right, Doctor. You know many more things than Lucas. I don't believe that voodoo can bring the dead back to life. And Lucas not believe.
find something more cheerful on the radio. Welcome back to second second half of show for Behind the Schemes, episode 124 on October 31st, 2022. We are joined here again by Lightbright. What up, what up, what up? And this is the part of the show where we like to take a moment to thank the people that help produce this production. And uh, for this particular episode, I, I want to thank Make Heroism again. And uh, I've actually got a plethora of material that uh, we'll We'll be featuring here over the next couple of uh, episodes. Very excited about it. A lot of, a lot of great stuff. Um, but we didn't have any other PayPal donations come in. Uh, I wasn't really expecting any since uh, we did have an episode yesterday, and uh, we didn't have any boostergrams either. And I don't see any screamels. So I suppose uh, we can roll straight into talking about some uh, some of the shit that we did at Bush Gardens. Okie dokie. Um, was there... Uh, <laughs> oh, there's one. <laughs> uh, Lavish. Groovy. Yeah. It's, uh... You know, we were discussing last week, busting out of... Er, not even last week. Uh, yesterday. Busting out of soft tape. Actually measuring the diameter of this pile of goats that's going right now. Boo! Spooky! <laughs> uh, will you, will you excuse me for a second? Uh, is that okay? Boo! I gotta, Spooky! I'm gonna try and get through this. Try and consolidate the pile a little bit. Eh, sounds like Demon God Street. Damn it. Uh, I might have to go get more gas. Don't, don't flood it. Uh, well, I, I think. I think Spooky. I think the spray was getting in there. 
Um, and it might, uh, have, might have gunked it up a little bit. Right. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, I know that we were discussing the, the theater of uh, the great puppet earlier, but, you know, this is... I would say this is continuing in that tradition. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> sure. Oh, C-Dubs has a great idea. Get a wood chipper. I... I wholeheartedly support that idea. I'll look into um I'll look into procuring a wood chipper. I think that'll make fast work of these goats. Uh um wow. Do you want to count them? We had uh let me scroll all the way back through the pile. Pitar boosting the live item for episode one twenty four out of Curiocaster slaughtered one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13. Spooky number 13. Getting that baker's dozen in again. And the devil plus one. Or, yeah. or the plus one, the devil. That's the one. <laughs> plus two. Oh. Uh, we also had one from Lavish uh, through Fountain. He said Elvira has nice ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and who was that? Ew. Spooky. And another 6666 from Lavish saying, Far Goats. <laughs> I think we had to let the gas out of that one. Uh, how much does Shock the Gimp see dubs? Uh, that was 8888 because it looks like little chains, you know, the eights in a row. And the body has four limbs, right? So you chain up each limb. It makes sense, I think. I think the math checks out. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. That sounds about right. Um, and always, uh, just like just just do like a little. Give him a wide berth. Give the gimp a wide berth and walk around. Go to the street. Oh no! Yeah, watch out for the gimp. Um, he's not going anywhere, but uh, any disturbances will irritate him. Uh, not even irritate. Just get him excited. And uh, I don't know if uh, that's the sort of Halloween people are into or not <laughs> I stand corrected <laughs> uh, Lavish uh, let me tickle this bitch Lavish likes to tickle the gimp uh, Ew, spooky are you uh, are you impressed by our booster gimp I don't know if we've really discussed this one at length at length yeah uh, impressed sure he said the man was unpredictable, flopping on the floor, writhing and grunting. It's, um, you know, it's, he signed up for it. Uh, that, he just showed up. He had all the gear. He didn't really say much, uh, but we kind of got the idea and we just, we, we, we've had him here ever since. Uh, I think it was the episode when Tom Starkweather joined us. Uh, that was the first time he made his appearance. Uh, discuss at length. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, Servo. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness! Sorry. Let's uh, let's get into some of the stuff that uh, we did at Bush Gardens. Uh, sure, sure. Let's talk about the uh, the mazes that we we did up. Uh, I, I guess the mazes that you opened for the first time, the original ones. The original. Oh, sorry, you confused me there. Oh, which uh, which mazes at Bush Gardens was it that you opened? And uh, it was the first year for him. Um, so in twenty fifteen, it was Lumberhack and Cornered. 
uh, Lumberhack being a, oh, based off of an old mill town um, lumber yard. Don't mind him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't remember. Something in the water kind of thing turned all of the people in this little town into like zombie things. I was never a huge fan of that. Ooh. Spooky. Um, I was never a big fan of that storyline. I we can talk more about that later. And then cornered was the uh, storyline of the macabre family. Haha, funny. Yep. Uh, <laughs> they like are stealing people and turning them into these like corn um, monsters. Yeah, fun not, stuff. Not quite scarecrows, but no. Actually, it was scarecrows, but then they would come to life, um, if I remember correctly. Yeah, corner. They made us put all that fake, or it wasn't. Even, I'm sorry, it wasn't fake. It was real dried corn stalk up to cover the the fence, which was the walls. Right, and, and then like, as soon as it rained, it would get all moldy and disgusting, and you know, all that fun. Um, and then the third one that I opened in 2016, which is probably my magnum opus, if you will. It was Circo Sinestro, uh, good old fashioned clown sideshow themed. Yeah, maze out, out in one of the more swampy parts of the park. Places of wet, or that specific location was a wetlands. Right, you'd always be finding some sort of varmint hanging out in your maze at any time of the year. Mm-hmm. All sorts of critters and flood a lot too. Um, yeah, the uh, I I got a photo gallery from Flickr. Here of Lumberhack in the day, uh, daytime photos at least. Uh, I believe this was 2015. Um, the person that posted this didn't have a year. It's just the just the months. I'm kind of basing it off of the just how new some of the like the the last part of the maze of Lumberhack. It kind of dipped down into this little mini gully, so they had to flatten the whole area out with a bridge. But they would have People run up on the bridge with chainsaws and hatchets and all sorts of crazy shit. And it all looks pretty new. Yeah, this is probably 2016 or later with the uh, Grinders. Grinders didn't open oh. with Lumberhack. Was that... Uh, they they had uh, just battery-powered Grinders, right? Yep. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, and then... Oh. I miss these uh, dichroic lamps. Is this dichro or the LED ones? Uh, with Lumberhack, I was probably using a mishmash of what I could find. Because uh, around that time, blue was still in production, but they had discontinued amber and red at that point. Of the, <laughs> God, uh, they the, really got it out for him tonight. <laughs> yeah, of the dichro lamps. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Spooky. I like the uh, I like dichro glass a lot. I think it produces the best uh, uh, best source of color when it comes to lighting. Yeah, and for those who don't know, so dichroic lamps. What we're talking about is you take your old traditional uh, floodlight lamp, the big round uh, par thirty eights or par thirty sixes, and they would uh, dip them in. Sorry, dichroic lamp color would be actual glass. It's actually colored glass that they would put on there. Versus, you know, your modern day LED is the diode inside of the LED is what's creating the color. 
So it would be very different colors that we would have. And that transition was always extremely uh, frustrating for me because, you know, if, especially in a village that's supposed to be all blue, right? And only like half of your lights are the dichro blue still and the other half are the LEDs because the LEDs were crazy expensive and we couldn't afford to do a full swap out. You'd have two very different blues going on as well as outputs of light and it was always annoying. Um, so your dichros are going to be a little more... They're going to keep that warmness to them. And and with the blue specifically, it was actually more of a turquoise color that would come out instead of like a true blue, mm. um, which still, you know, very helpful in areas like Cutthroat before it became Circos, Cutthroat, the pirate themed one. And so those turquoisey blues and more underwater sea colored uh, worked. Yeah. Oh, and they get hot as shit, too. <laughs> they also get hot as shit, and so if you have to go in and try and swap something out, like, because you didn't like the amber, and you want to swap it to red, and now you have to uh, either unplug the lamp, or you burn off your fingertips, and uh, to this day, I really don't have feeling in my fingertips anymore yeah. from burning them so much. They are uh, fairly nasty, uh, as far as lamps come, in my experience. Um, as far as just like oh <laughs> definitely sh shouldn't have touched that one um but yeah the uh i liked i liked the lumber hack it was uh it was cool being out in the woods um the uh cornered i did not like cornered especially because of the actual corn stalks and they had all the like it, that was one where they had uh, a mirror maze um but i feel like they fucked it up somehow on the installation or we fucked yeah. it up yeah <laughs> Um, they, if I remember right, she did the wrong side. Oh, yeah. So they actually installed like the non-reflected side. And by the time they'd like figured it out and pulled all the panels off to reinstall in the correct way, they were all bent to crap. Um, and did not, did not look too good at that point. I actually forgot about that mirror part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I guess... I didn't explain what I was doing at the time. I was working as the uh, maze captain for the just maintaining once we got into operation the various mazes. So we had a crew of, I don't know, five, six people, including myself. And we would just do these runs on the on the various mazes and, and maintain them on the fly. Uh, work on punch lists and stuff like that on the install. Um, we weren't doing a ton of the major rigging and stuff like that for the overhead stuff, but uh, I was out there for a whole fucking month with Jeremy getting those big uh, <laughs> old-timey circus tents set up, the big top ones. Oh, right. And just It was three of them, and right. I don't remember how many stakes, probably plus 30, to get the whole thing standing, plus the giant center pole, right? Um, yeah. Just trying to pound these stakes in and then they're not happy with the location or there's not gonna they they, they gotta come in and actually pave this whole swampy area um so that they can lay out uh god they had like shipping containers out there that they turned into train cars and a whole um it was supposed to be a larger than life dollhouse that <laughs> wrapped up the 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 uh, Circo Sinestro? Uh, uh, no, the so, and I guess I didn't really go over what my role was at the park either. So, 
I was the designer for all of this. I was a part of the design team that, you know, we'd start talking back in January about the Halloween season or, and what, you know, if anything's going to be new, what's going to be new, we're going to start spitballing concepts and all of that fun stuff. And my specific title was to design the lighting for any of these events, as well as all of the theme park uh, atmospherics as well. So not just the haunted houses, anything else in the park that was happening with the Halloween event was also under my domain as well. Um, so the end of Circo Sinestro, really weird and weird take. The the Was that Phil? I think that was Phil's baby. He wanted... The idea of the the patrons, the people walking through the maze, are shrinking. So it's not larger than the Life Doll House. You, the viewer, or the um, person walking through the maze, has has been shrunk down. That's right. Into a dollhouse. Never read um, a lot of this stuff as we talk. Like beautiful, fantastic, great concepts to begin with, and then either time or money usually got in the way and so with the there's photos of my dollhouses being all lit up they're all little ones and then they were supposed to slowly gradually get bigger as you walked up to the big main dollhouse at the end and just through again time and money that 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 transition never really got played out correctly yeah because they ended up buying a bunch of dollhouses that they were all the same size in sections so there would be this one group of all the same houses, and then the next group that was all kind of the medium size, and then I think the tallest of these uh, dollhouses probably came up to about my uh, thighs, maybe? Mid-thighs? Yeah, and they really should have gotten closer to, like, your shoulder. They should have slowly gotten up to, like, five or six foot tall before you walked into the big one. Yeah, but they, the whole, uh, this section before you walk into the dollhouse and you've shrunk down, um... They had it blocked off with all this fencing, so it wasn't a very wide path. But, uh, yeah, we spent two days, I want to say, wiring up these dollhouses. I'm actually still kind of super proud the way we pulled this, uh, uh, (laughs) pulled it off. You bought a bunch of uh, LED little lights, which are, what, three-watt little dealios? two wire you can buy them in different colors and they're little pin spots yeah um we put two to three maybe four in some of the bigger ones and all these little dollhouses and uh i made a giant like hydra monster jumper cable (laughs) that you could plug all these into but um they never i guess they didn't really consider the long-term outdoor exposure to these dollhouses because they ended up just kind of disintegrating with the weather and the rain and whatnot because they're just balsa wood and mm, maybe thick cardboard in some Uh, but yeah i I thought the uh i thought the that looked neat well the annoying part about that is and you know you brought up ada earlier you know we spent like you, I think you said two full days just concentrating on that, what, 15 feet of the maze and health and safety came in three days later and said, you're blocking too much of the pathway. We have to rip all these out. Mm-hmm. And so they, like the day we opened, they were like ripping them out and putting them on top of the fences instead of on the pathway. Yeah, it didn't have the same effect because, you know, 
why would these be floating above you? Right. I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I feel like we had a tape measure out there, too. <laughs> I felt like we were compliant. Um, but yeah, they had a... What else? They, oh, like bungee. Bungee actors. Um, there was the... It was like a stretchy spandex room. Uh, all black and white material. That ended up kind of neat. Um, that's the thing <laughs> about Bush Gardens that I came to understand is... Uh, on you know, it can have a really shiny outside if if the time's put into it, but for a lot of the stuff, it really is just slapped together. <laughs> I don't know if you experienced any of that. Oh, never. I never had to just slap shit together to make it happen. Make it happen. Make it work. Why isn't this working? Um, there's a there's the picture of the dollhouses. Always like that picture. It was pretty cool. Um, sometimes this is an instance where I wish this was a video show so I could actually play the, uh, trailer for Circo Sinestro. Um, but, uh, alas, I don't think there's any actual dialogue. It's all just video. Uh, it's still worth checking out. Um, there was some fun, fun photos dug up, uh, the mannequin room before all the dudes got dressed and just working by yourself, uh, piddling around trying to get shit done and every time you walk in there's just a <laughs> room full of uh uh nude models or nude ma- uh, nude mannequins just hanging out they they uh, eventually got dressed up in glow in the dark uh with morph suits uh glow in the dark like um uh victorian fancy wear and then they would have two guys uh living guys wear the same thing they move around. I thought it was cool. They had some wildfires in there. Some. I was gonna say it wasn't glow in the dark. It was all just white. Oh um, yeah, yeah. So the the mannequins and the actors were wearing black morph suits and then wore these white Victorian suits on top of them with hats. And with the wildfires, obviously, you know it's black light. They picked up all the white, and the black of the morph suit would be uh, the negative space. And the the scare in that room specifically was, you know, 30 of the people in the room were just mannequins and they weren't going to move. And then there was two or three that were actually moving and walking around to scare you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, what else? Is there anything else that uh, stood out at Circo? It's kind of a blur, really. Uh, The one effect I really liked under the train cars where they had the grating... um, I was always a big fan and still I'm a big fan of using natural textures to create shapes and whatnot in your space. Um, so like with cornered, it was all like pallets and I would light from behind the pallets to make a really nice like grid across the walkway or across the wall, across from you and things like that. And then Circo in the <clears throat> train car, there was this grating that you were walking underneath. So I did a lot of up lighting and they put a fog machine underneath it. So I had this really cool little, uh, like pin strips of light coming up from you as you were walking across it. Mm-hmm. I remember that one. Yeah, that's that's the fun stuff. Uh, trying to build something out of nothing. <laughs> Not quite so much. <laughs> um. Yeah, we uh. So we hit cornered. Uh, we hit circo. Um, lumberhack. We touched on. Uh, you. There wasn't any other uh, mazes that you were doing because of Oak Island, right? Oak Island had... Uh... Nope, I also had Bitten. 
Um, but that was that wasn't a new build. That was just something I was maintaining. So out of the seven, I had four of them. Oak Island had Deadline, um, Unearthed, and Catacombs. Yeah. But really, I ended up with all of them because after we opened, apparently it was my job to maintain their crap because they were too busy doing other things. I don't know. Not bitter yet anymore at all. It's fine. Yeah, those guys, uh, or not, I shouldn't say guy. I, I shouldn't lump them all together. The um, management side. Uh, <laughs> there were some issues. There's some issues. Um, but anyways, the um, I was never super big into Bitten because it's uh, it's an old um, trolley house or the the loading house for the roller coaster that used to be there. It got torn down in the nineties. Uh, fire. Um, but they they kept the actual building that the the train would load passengers on and, and whatnot or the ride would load and uh they've turned it into various houses over the years i think one of the first times we went there they had a it was like alice in wonderland sort of twisted fairy tales and they'd have that whole field out there in front of it uh, be a whole outdoor kind of walkthrough on the way out and be all decorated and stuff um isn't that where they took the clancy faces and stuck them on trees Yes. Yeah. Uh, but Bitten, it just, it's so musty and stale. Uh, it gets locked up <laughs> year yeah, after don't, year. Yeah, don't look at that maze with all the lights on, that's for sure. Yeah. Lots of critters get in there, you gotta chase them out. Uh, and then the Flame X. All that shit builds up over time. It just gets so, mm, not tacky, but... Uh, it, it's got a presence. This chemical that you use to fireproof everything. You have to run through with like a Ghostbusters water pump backpack and spray everything and hold your breath and just move faster than the mist. It's pretty gross. Um, yeah, and then you got the outdoor stuff. Uh, Wendigo Woods. I, I don't know if there's any of that that you want to touch on or. Yeah, so Bush Gardens, Williamsburg is. Um european themed so very much like epcot where you're walking through different countries uh and so you have a new france which is canada a france a germany um italy england Scotland, and <laughs> that one those, scared me a little bit <laughs> yeah for halloween those countries would co- become territories and each one had its own theming then so like france became when i was there france was demon street uh canada was when to go woods which fan- again fantastic concept execution horrible uh germany was vampires italy was pirates besta italia was the became the clowns um yeah the outside wow, of the circus and yeah, and England was uh, Ripper Row, and then Scotland and Ireland kind of was like the safe zones where you could go and enjoy the Halloween side without actually being scared. There wasn't any roaming actors or anything like that. The What was it? Ireland was like Dr. Frankenstein themed. They had the monsters like on slabs out mm. and about, and then Scotland was just the uh, pumpkins, which was always near and dear to my heart. BAP was my favorite part of the entire theme park. Um, I think we have a picture of BAP. 
Yep, there's one in there. Uh, yeah. Towards the end of the thread. BAP stands for uh, Big Ass Pumpkin. Big Ass and Pumpkin. They, that would go out and I put some little lights in it and so it would glow its jack-o'-lantern face during the nighttime. So during the day, it just looked like a regular pumpkin. At night, it became a jack-o'-lantern. Super spoopy. I think you loaded up on the back of a flatbed. <laughs> you gotta watch for the trees on both sides of the road. Yeah, I had to be careful, careful driving that one around. Mm-hmm. And then they made me ruin it um, my last year because BAP was a photo op and they wanted people to be able to take pictures in front of it. So I had to hit it with front light. Oh, wash the face um, out. And that completely washed out the entire jack-o'-lantern face. I hated it. I hate it. Let me, uh, yeah, well, uh, there's there's a lot left to be desired uh, we're working at this place. Uh, there was some, I mean, there were some cool moments, no doubt, doing some cool shit. Uh, building scaffolding on the back of a uh, uh, New France, which was the Wendigo Woods area, all like French Canadian themed, building fucking scaffolding in the pouring rain. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, concept of the Wendigo Woods again, fantastic concept. It was a like science research site that they had captured an actual Wendigo, and we're doing studies on it, but. The idea was that the Wendigo had escaped um, and was roaming freely. And they had they had these ideas of there was an animatronic Wendigo that was actually supposed to break free of its chains every 15, 20 minutes or whatever and do its whole little thing. Time and money got in the way and the thing barely even shook. Um, so from the get go, I was always like, get rid of it. Put someone in a Wendigo costume and have them running around in the territory and scaring people like yeah some some little skinny fuck too yeah someone i mean you could have even started using stilts and having someone tall mm-hmm. um so the what blueberry is referencing with the scaffolding and that big old snow globe looking thing it's called a tempest dome it's what you can put uh very expensive moving lights in without having them be exposed to the elements uh they get kind of put into this little climate controlled temper controlled snow globe essentially and can do its thing and that was mimicking a searchlight and so i would program that out to make it look like it was tracking and trying to search for the monster even though the monster was right next to it it yeah never truly made sense yeah real jerky <laughs> Um, you had a cool photo. You showed me it. I, I I didn't see it in the stuff that you had sent over, but it was a silhouette of the Wendigo with the with the what was it? A, uh, was it a VL or a um, was it a VL three thousand? It depending on the year. It was a Mac two K the first year, but then I swapped it out to a VL the next year. Um, did I did I not send that to you? We can I can yeah. send it. Um. Yeah, they had a. I like this. Uh, they had like an electric fence that they done with, um, L, uh, like Christmas strands, and this would have been Oak Island, I think, or did, I don't, maybe you sourced it. I'm no, that sure. was an Oak Island specialty. They specialty made that, so they because they had like a subset, um, store like a shop that would make the stuff. Yeah, they're the contractors it. who also 
produce the materials. Right. So all of those little lanterns that were everywhere in the park, that was also made by them. And the candles, the melted candles that would, with the fake flames, that was all them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the water, it was supposed to be like a, a electrified line. Um, and so it was these kind of, they looked like uh, Christmas lights, but they would strobe. And uh, I, I thought it was a cool effect. Um, what else in here? Looking through these photos. Um, he brought up Fiends, and Fiends brings me to nurses. And uh, Fiends, which was a show, had a ton of nurses in it. And I found a, <laughs> a whole Flickr gallery for the nurses for Fiends in the, well, it's not Fiends in the Fest House, never mind. Just normal Fiends, I guess. Um, so that one's in there. And, uh, there was some really nice galleries of, uh, some of the village lighting. Let's see if I can dig a link up to one of these real quick. Uh, did you have a particular favorite village? Uh, I was looking at the, one of these, I can't remember, might've been the 26 one or sorry, 2016 one. And the, they had that really nice shot of the vampire bar. In front of Fest House. Uh, I I guess my legacy that I left was a lot of these villages were really one note when they were handed over to me. And my main goal was to start doing, and as a lighting designer, my main thing is always two color. If you, when in doubt, put make sure you have two colors, for God's sake. Give a little bit of contrast. Um, so a lot of these villages, they, you know, were always, were like, Germany was always a hard red. And so I came in and started adding purples into it or UV to just try and split it up a little bit. So that's where if you look at the in front of the fest house, that vampire bar. Um, something that I did. Was Same it? with Demon Street. Again, another all red part part of the park. So I came in and uh, added, I think I was blue and red in that part. Uh, this one, this one's nice. Of uh, England, it was supposed to be done up like uh, uh, Ripper's Row was the name of it. Uh, there's the picture. A lot of purples, blues, some teals, uh, the orange from the street lights. That's actually a fantastic example of the LED mixed with the dichrotics. Yeah, that's because that's what's happening there at the clock tower. Mm-hmm. But yep. yeah, the, that orange in front of the uh globe theater getting that added in Ooh, that's not working for me now i'll have to see if i can save that photo get it added added to the show notes so you can actually see it again um yeah there was there were some really nice village shots people taking some some good photos um uh, i like the ones of uh this pirate cove pirate cove in italy turned out real nice um, a lot of oranges and blues, or ambers and blues, I should say. Lighting pillars. Pillars are always fun to light. This is 14, so this would actually be Rob. Oh, there you go. Wait, which... I think see. I changed it to greens the next year. Is this a 2014? I got a lot of... Oh, yeah, you're right. I have a lot of these open. I got lost. Um, Yeah. Yep. Uh, There was a couple of little things that... I got to do here and there, um, but mostly it was just uh, trying to put out little fires everywhere we could, and a lot of crush and run, a lot of crush and run, crush and run, crush and run, for uh, 
the whole season, I would just type up the the notes or the the to do task for the technicians, and we'd have a quick little meeting. I almost said the thing, but I didn't. You like that? We we would have our little get together, and I would tell who's gonna go where and do what. And uh, one reoccurring note was crush and run, which is just what like coarsely ground gravel. It's kind of wet that you can lay it and create a little pathway out of it. Right. Um, you can use it to make pathways, ADA, all that. And um, and I would just say crush and run here, crush and run there. And uh, one of the girls that was helping me lead it, Rachel. <laughs> For the longest time, thought that I was giving messages of affirmation out. <laughs> um, yeah, so it became the the fall of Crush and Run. Oh uh, yeah, uh, was there anything else that you want to touch on uh, as far as images or thoughts and um, experiences? Different cool shit. There was a lot of stupid shit. A lot of stupid shit, but a lot of cool shit. A lot of just figure it out kind of stuff. Definitely made me think outside the box. Wish I could find this stinking picture of the vampire bar. Was it Open Casket? Was that the name it, of it? Yeah. Oh, I had it somewhere. Oh, I think I'm in the one. I think I'm in the one now. There it is. How do I do this? I uh, just click into it and copy, copy pasta the link. Oh, these shows, man. I tell you what, theme park shows. Different beast. Oh, there's a picture of the... Uh... <laughs> Here's the Wendigo animatronic. Uh, at this point, they'd actually blocked off two of the sides. It used to be this sort of open on three-side structure, a little shed. But uh, they ended up blocking it off. Protected from the elements because the skin was deteriorating straight off of the robot. That happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, so, like, because Night Beats was all, like, blues and stuff, so I thought, why not have it start to transition into those blues as you walked towards the fest house? So Vampire Bar was always just a nice mix of everything. Yep. Big ol', uh... That one had the rotating sign, right? The one that would spin around? Yeah, that's a stupid thing that would break every other day. Yeah. A lot of stuff breaking all the time. <laughs> Um, I mean, there was catacombs. Catacombs was kind of interesting because it was built into the backstage area of one of the uh, venues. I always thought that was kind of cool. What you can do with a with with a space and enough walls. Yeah, but it's we tried really hard to get them to axe catacombs the year Twat Night was opening. Oh, um, Twat Night, yeah. We wanted to axe catacombs, and Bakken actually was trying really hard to get Elvira to have a stand, like her own show in Palace that year, because he knows her, and was oh. all for like getting her to come out and have like a little residency in the palace. Yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Park Ops pushed her real hard backwards, and they were like, no, it's one of the most popular uh mazes and it it's a great place to throw like three thousand people easily it's like well people could just be watching the show too but bigger fish than i had to deal with mm. yeah how uh, how dare you shun a elvira and here's the cypress trees i always liked uplighting these cypress trees even though i always had to go out and 
uh, fix them because water would get dumped into the lights and they would short out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the elements are not kind to lighting. <laughs> not kind. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think I've kind of covered all the stuff that I wanted to, to bring up. Um, anything else strike your mind? Uh, I mean, not really. I could talk for hours on this, you know. Well, let's do it. But <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to second, second, second half. <laughs> um, cool. Um, oh, I di- okay. I, I take that back. This is the gallery that uh, I was looking at. You're talking about the two color tone because they ended up carrying that on into 2017. It looks like, but uh, it's oh, I'm sorry. This is 2015. So that would have been you, right? Yeah, that would be me. Yep. There's a nice one of uh, Demon's Street. Looks good. Ooh. Spoopy. Here's a great Wendigo shot. It looks so good in the photos. So good in the photos, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, ripped up Wendigo. Oh, super buff. Yeah, he was on on something. He was roided out. A a roidigo. Yeah, this is this is the gallery to check out overall. Um, share that I wish one there with was a picture of the Bat Bridge. Oh, that's one that I haven't seen. An old wooden covered bridge. Ended up. It was just uh, ended up covering it with two Lecos and some Gobos. Yeah, I just scraped the. Uh, actually, I'm not sure. Did I have Gobos? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it was streaky kind of general okay. breakup, and then. Bats and uh, the erosion cloth. <laughs> if you want to do a, uh, if you want to do a haunted maze, cheesecloth and erosion cloth will get you real far. Um, let, let's uh, let's see if we get a voicemail, uh, which we don't. <laughs> Everyone's too busy at their Halloween parties. Mm, indubitably. Well, thank you for coming and hanging out on uh, this special edition of. Our normal time slot, uh, but on Halloween of behind the schemes. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, a little bit of behind the scenes talk about haunted mazes and a little exploration of the history of them. I covered a lot of ground tonight and still kind of wrapping at a decent time. What's not to love about that? Um, you know, that one thing you were asking about earlier, and I was like, nah, well, I kind of changed my mind. Are you ready? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Ah. That's right. We'll we'll end it on an upbeat note. (laughs) A jellical note. A jellical note. Oh my god, it's so gross. It's fine. Next time we get to talk about your deep, dark, dirty past. Oh my goodness. The uh, We had a couple of boostograms come through there at the end. We should shout those out. We had uh, 8888 from Lavish saying OSHA approved, GIMP. And then C-Dubs through Boost CLI, 8888 boosting the GIMP. And then one last uh, <laughs> hit in there for Lavish. For 8888 saying tit for tat. 
If, if he's if this gimp is just riding around on ground, grunting, uh, causing no one any sort of harm, just walk around him. If you want to hang out with us next time, we'll be live next Monday at uh, 730, 930, 1030 Eastern at BadRadio.Live. Come hang out, spook.social, and uh, consider a t-shirt, shop. We got to get you a t-shirt. Which one? Oh, you got to tell me. Oh, I don't know. Mm, you got to get one that will... Got to sup up all that blood. Ah. Something absorbent. It only really makes sense. I'm gonna start going into flashbacks. Do it, do it, do You're it. You're gonna do see it. me after the show, writhing around, convulsing, chomping soap. That's what's gonna be happening. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be quite the sight. I'm actually getting flashbacks. I don't know if this is a good good choice or not. <laughs> well, until next time, thanks for hanging out. Happy Halloween to everybody. This has been Booberry, Black Knight of the Mothman. And Lightbright. said the man was unpredictable flopping on the floor carve it up oh shit fuck you'll never boost me alive pigs (laughs) boost my bitch up Spook me, bitch. Lavish. He's alive. Alive! Listen behind the scenes. The epic of your dreams. <laughs>